1: The Iron Woman Podcast is proud to be supported by Zelio's Skincare. Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long-lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't
0: want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt
1: All Natural Chamois Cream swim and sport shower products, and body lotion. You can get 20% off at TeamZelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios
0: order with the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com.
1: And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How's it going this week? Hey, Alyssa. It's going pretty good. I'm enjoying watching all the kind of Kona hype. It's race week. And and I, you know, enjoy enjoy seeing all the pictures of Hawaii and kind of living vicariously through everyone there. And soon to be you, because you are actually on your way by the time this airs, you will be in Kona on the big island, soaking it all up. I know.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I am excited. I did have a quick little stopover in San Diego for a few days to catch up with my coach, Hillary Biscay, um, and get to go to I'm her daughter's godmother. So I got to go to that third birthday party and catch up with everyone here. I actually went to Masters here this morning. I love that kind of thing where you can come into a town like San Diego, which is like the birthplace of triathlon, right? So of course, there's plenty of options for people to be working out with. And I hit that 6am Masters and got my day started pretty nicely here. So how's Bozeman been doing? Are you getting snowed in and looking at the Hawaii photos? Or has it gotten
1: better? What's your week been like? The snow is gone. Thankfully, the snow is gone. It's actually spectacularly beautiful here right now. Um, We have that like fall feeling where it's like sunny, but like 50 degrees. So it's basically perfect running weather. And so I've been taking advantage and definitely, I mean, I think I took Cowboy on like four walks yesterday he was a lucky dog because I was just like man it's so nice and I know this snow is coming and you know just want to get out there and enjoy enjoy this fall weather so yeah that's mostly what I've been doing it's you know not the most exciting it's not it's not Hawaii but sometimes you know taking a step back and having things be a little more chill and just enjoying the fall can be good for us too right totally and you know
0: what I've been totally changing up my training routine. And this has like been a very interesting thing. So I'm training for a six day stage race. It starts November 1st, November 1st or 2nd. And it's 166 miles through Big Bend Ranch State Park in Texas. And so Haley, you run with all of your things for six days. So I have to run with like a heavy pack, which will probably be about 20 pounds when all is said and done. And it gets lighter, I guess, as the days go on and you eat that food each day. But I've been practicing running with a 20 pound pack. And Haley, let me tell you, it's not very easy.
1: <laughs> wow. This is big news. It's breaking right here on the podcast. Are you carrying like a tent and a sleeping bag as well? Or is it mostly like your food? I mean, it's a so totally race- unsupported race.
0: I think it's called like self-supported, but so the race, it's like designated overnight checkpoints. So you have to just run the distance for the day and then you do, you get to break and sleep and then like, you have a start time for the next morning kind of thing. And so the race has these campsites that you run to and they have these big 10 person tents. And so you don't have to carry a tent, but you do have to carry a sleeping mat. If you want one, it's not required. And a sleeping bag though is required. So you at least have to carry the bag and there's a variety of other like mandatory and suggested items that you're bringing with you for safety and comfort along the way. But you don't have to bring, so you have to bring all your food, but they do provide hot water at least. So I'll be eating like dehydrated meals and things like that. And I don't have to bring though like my little camping stove, which that actually saves me quite a bit of room, but still it's been, it's crazy. Like putting weights into the, the backpack and running for 20 miles is is not, it feels like I'm learning to run long distances again. And so my knees and my ankles are really not appreciative yet, but I'm hoping I'm getting over that hump with it right now.
1: Well, I'm excited to check in with you over the next month and hear how everything is progressing because this sounds like quite the adventure. So we'll have to, you'll have to keep us posted for sure. I definitely will. And in the meantime, here
0: this month, we have a few. Things coming up, kind of housekeeping items that you can participate in and contribute to as a listener. So the first one is the Outspoken Summit Awards. And so there is going to be awards given out this year at the Outspoken Summit. And it's they're taking nominations for, for the awards. And you can go online to outspokensummit.com and click on the awards tab. And they list out all sorts of awards that you can nominate people for. And those nominations are due by Tuesday, October 15th. And it's things like race director of the year, coach of the year, athlete of the year, all sorts of different options. And you don't have to be present at the summit to win an award. So we really
1: can go in and nominate people from all over and um, everywhere to, to get these awards. That's right. And that's outspokensummit.com or we'll include a link in our show notes, but you have no, no time to think too hard because Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, October 15th is the deadline. So definitely check that out. Think about who you want to nominate and get those nominations in. Um, the other award that we have, it's, it's like award season. Is this it like Chathon on season? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, we Red mentioned this everywhere. In- Yeah, we mentioned this last week that our our sponsor, Noon Hydration, is hosting the Noon-S Award. And this is actually a $2,500 grant that can go to any woman who's nominated elite, professional, or amateur, any any ability... All you have to do is go to noon s.noonlife.com forward slash award, nominate yourself or a friend, and this $2,500 can go toward anything that is going to help you achieve your goal. So definitely check that out. And that award goes or the nominations go through October 30th. So you have a little bit more time to pull that together. I think there's a video submission involved in that one, too. So check it out and then start brainstorming because it's a little bit more work. But
0: super cool that they're doing that. And Um, I can't wait to see who all of these awards are going to this season. Haley, we do have a mailbag question that we're going to get into this week, and our listeners can always send us questions at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this week's question comes from Alex, and they're wondering if either of us have ever DNF'd, and if so, how do we move on? So, Haley, I actually have never not finished a triathlon, but I have DNF'd an ultramarathon, so
1: I certainly have. Wait, can I, like, stop you there? Because I feel like that time you became the smash face queen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's you're true. Finished. Actually,
0: you're right. I had that big bike crash, and I did not get to the finish line that day. So, yeah. No, I take that back. I've totally – I've had multiple DNFs in my career.
1: <laughs> um, wait, which race was that? Wanaka? Was that Wanaka. Challenge Wanaka? The, yeah. the one it was a full Ironman distance, and you crashed on the bike. Yeah. And so did that, not finish. That's my
0: triathlon. And then I think I have two – from ultra marathoning my my ultra marathoning career's
1: how um, did you move on you've obviously moved on you've done many ultras and oh, trafon yeah. since then
0: yeah so i think the key for me is just that you uh, you have to be very like confident in your decision to and like own it in a way right i guess i just feel like when the bike crash was one instance, there was no way I could have continued that. Um, and for the running ones where I definitely had like a decision to make, like keep going or stop. Right. I just knew it was not healthy for myself, for my body to keep going. And so I just, you know, you make the decision. And I guess the thing is, is like, I feel like races are always going to be there, your health and your body. And like, That is something to take care of. So you always want to prioritize that above just, you know, potentially being dangerous to get yourself to the finish line. And so I guess that's just, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of life. Like you're going to make it to the end sometimes. And sometimes you're going to have to do a little bit more work. Right. And so it's kind of all part of the process of sport. And there's no guarantee ever that you're going to get to the finish line when you're at the starting line. And so, I think I just know that, and, and so it's never been something that's really haunted me because I'm just like, okay, I'll
1: work a little harder and try again the next time. But what about you? So I dnf one race, and, and that was Kona in 2015. And so it, this was kind of a weird situation. It was a weird situation in general, and I, I'd been hit by a car three weeks before, and I didn't realize how hurt I was and i started the race for various reasons and a lot of it was financial stress that i felt because of you know just how sponsors i need i felt like i needed to be there i was at kind of a point in my career where you know i did think that if i if i wasn't in kona that that would end things for me and so even though i knew i was not healthy i knew i knew starting the race that i wouldn't finish because I had a lower leg injury. I could not run a marathon. And I decided to start and just see how far I got. And I, I DNF'd on the bike. And I really, really, really regret starting that race, if anything else. like if, if, if The thing I learned the most from that was that it was really hard for me. DNFing is really hard. Like, one, it, races aren't set up to DNF. Like It took me, I think, by the time I got back to you know, town, like uh, Jan Ferdino was finishing the race. And I, think I learned we took that you back, I think I took Yeah, you, back. you did. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> did take me back. You and Hillary took me back. Cause it was, yeah. well, at the time I also was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, no one's going to pick me up. I'm not like, I'm not Jan Ferdino. I'm not rinny, I'm how do I get back? You know? And it was, I just couldn't, I, there was no way I could ride my bike up Javi. And so uh, I, it is, there's like no real way to how do you DNF? Like, I don't know. And so it was like, I got a ride back from Melissa and Hillary and, and It did. It did haunt me. It still does haunt me and not in the way that I'm disappointed in myself for not finishing, but in that I never should have started that race. And I have since then, I have not started a race when I was sick. And part of that was looking back to that time when. I started a race that I knew I couldn't finish and how hard that was on me afterwards. And I made the correct decision to not start a race when I wasn't healthy and didn't compromise my health that way. And subsequently, I had some really, really fantastic races in the months after that. So so I think what you take from a DNF is not like... Don't necessarily beat yourself up over the DNF because it happens, you know, shit happens. Now I have to put an explicit (laughs) explicit (laughs) on this thing, on this uh, episode, but you know, learn from it, learn from it. And what I learned is that there are going to be times when you shouldn't race and, and there are probably going to be times when as a coach, when I have athletes who shouldn't race and I can be there for them and be like, Hey, you know, here's my experience. Here's what I think you should do. It's your decision. But you know, from my personal experience, there are times, like you said, when health matters more than anything and there will be other races. And I have, I've gone back to Kona since then I got my finish and all is all is well in the world.
0: Yeah, I think using it as just an opportunity to learn instead of, you know, an opportunity to like you just don't want to tie your own well-being and self-worth and all of that into the outcome of the race. Like that should all tie into what you learn from it and the efforts that you're putting into getting yourself to the starting line and things like that. I think just rather than the actual outcome. Right.
1: Yeah. I do want to add that Alyssa, my least favorite, one of my least favorite sayings of all time is the like death before DNF that saying, because that is so dumb. I mean, anyone who says that I will say it to your face, that that is dumb. It is not worth dying. Again, I've finished races. I have DNF races. I've had great races. I've had non good races and it, none of those finishes were worth dying. So keep your yeah. health in mind. <laughs> and I think
0: people are always so quick to judge. You know, like you see the pros who will walk 20 miles of a marathon to get to the finish line, and that is the right decision for them at that race. You'll see the pros who DNF like after the swim, right? And that is the right decision for them. Or like they'll get to mile 20 and DNF, right? And so everyone likes to cast their own opinion on what it is that they're doing or what it is, you know, pro or amateur, why, what is right, what is not. But only you know what's right for you um at that point and whatever's going on with life and everything else. So just, you know, take it as a learning experience and try to keep yourself healthy and make the best decision for you. That's really all all you can do in the end.
1: Yes, great advice. And no judgment here on the Iron podcast. We're we're all for getting on start lines and whether you make it to the finish, that's just a bonus. Or that's me. Maybe I'm not, I shouldn't speak for the entire podcast. <laughs> Please. Haley's um, input. I I have no judgment. I mean, do your best, but if your best is, yeah, get stopping after the swim, then that was it on the day. There'll be another day. And Haley, we do have an interview for
0: everyone today. So this is a fun one. Um, We actually talked to Joanne Murphy, who is the Irish voice of Ironman. And Joanne is an advocate for women in sport as one of the four global ambassadors for the Ironman Foundation's Women for Try initiative. She also has a brand called Try Talking Sport, and in that, she MCs events. She's a live presenter and an international sports announcer, working with brands and events all across like the UK and Europe and through a wide range of sectors. She also has a new sports podcast called Try Talking Sport, which launched this last May, And we talked to Joanne right after she finished up her announcing duties at Ironman Wales. And so you can hear more about the behind the scenes day in a life of a race announcer and how the sport has changed from her perspective behind the microphone over the last few years. We'll hear from Joanne after a word from our sponsors. Earlier this year, our sponsor, Wahoo Fitness, did a huge giveaway here on the podcast. We caught up with Jen Matro, who won the Element Bolt bike computer. Jen, it's been a few months since you won our Wahoo Fitness sweepstakes. How has life been since you became a Wahooligan? Alyssa, is it weird to say that I love my bike computer? The Element Bolt does it all. I can see any metric I need, power, distance, cadence, but I have to say that my absolute favorite feature is how you can enter a destination into the phone app and it will instantly create a route to guide you there with a the bolt. I used that a lot in Nice when I was there for the 70.3 World Championships.
1: Thanks, Jen. We love hearing your feedback. If any of our listeners want to give the bike trainers, bike computers, and heart rate monitors that make up the Wahoo Fitness ecosystem of products a try, head to wahoofitness.com. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport
0: Watermelon Flavor.
1: Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance Lemon Lime Flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts.
0: That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet.
1: So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Hi, Joanne. Welcome
0: to the Iron Women podcast. Hi girls, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show today. We are really excited to talk to you about all of the things that we don't know too much about actually from your side of things in an Ironman. And so we'll start off by talking about Ironman Wales because you're fresh off the announcing duties over there last weekend and everyone who goes to Ironman Wales seems to just fall in love like with the race, the town, the people, everything there. So can you just tell us first like what it is about Tenby that makes it so darn special over there?
2: I think it's the fact that Tenby has fallen in love with Ironman, um, and the people embrace us completely. It's not about Ironman falling in love with Tenby. I think Wales and Pembrokeshire County are hosts for the for the few days we're there. Absolutely love Ironman. The people, the spectators, the local people, the local businesses, the community there—they completely embrace um, all of the athletes, um, all of their their own supporters and spectators, and they just get behind us. Um, I think there was about 20,000 people lining the swim start on Sunday morning when our professional men started at 6.55, our professional ladies 6.57, and then our 2,300 age groupers at 7 a.m. And I don't know if you've seen the video of that um, iconic whale swim start, but I get goosebumps every time I hear the first chord of the Welsh National Anthem and then quickly into thunderstruck. It was just incredible. The
1: dragon certainly was awake on Sunday morning for all of our athletes. Well, mutual love does make for a very special event. And, and as the announcer, you get to see pretty much all of the race. And Ironmans can be super emotional. So were there any, like, super memorable moments that stuck out to you during this year's Ironman Wales? Um, so I think we had six wedding proposals. That Ooh. was
2: one thing. Not just one, six. six. Yeah, six. I think it was six. Uh, so I was joined on the, on the microphone by Jay Luke and uh, John Levison, And uh, I think I had one proposal and the boys then had five between them. We've never seen that many at a race. So it'll just tell you how emotional people get that they're already planning in advance. And they, they run and race with the ring in their pocket or in their hand or wherever they have it. And then the, proposal, the proposals came in. So that was one thing. Uh, the other thing I suppose really was um, we didn't get to see much of the race. So we see the swim start, the swim exit, the transition piece, and then we get to see a little bit of the run and, and on the finish line. Some of the bits that we've seen, obviously, were, um, you know, for the professional athletes when Arno Guillo overtook uh, the two boys that were up the front. It was just incredible. He just had a turbo power. We saw that on the Facebook Live feed that came back to us. And then uh, when we were watching the tracker, I didn't actually see it live, but Simone overtaking Manon Genet uh, after she had overtaken her on the run course to go on to win it was amazing and on the finish line calling Arnaud and Simone across the finish line their first ever professional wins both hugely emotional was just it, it's, it's a very privileged position to be in and, and that's just talking about some of the professional athletes, Lucy Gossage the Queen of Tenby uh, racing there on Sunday finishing in fourth hugely emotional for Lucy made all of us cry nearly like the, the the start of the race, seeing Dylan McNeese had such a great lead, and Rebecca Clark coming out of the swim, Um, you know. So like on the professional side of things, it was it was really really good. i was staided myself for Brian McChrystal when he withdrew because obviously he's Irish, he's our fastest uh, Ironman athlete in Ireland, and he he had to withdraw after a phenomenal race in in Cork uh, against Alistair Brownlee, finishing second only to Alistair in Cork. It was just. You know, there's, there's little bits of it. And then you look at the age groupers and you just see people who've come back year after year after year getting PBs or maybe crashing out the first year, both literally and physically, and then coming back and, and completing it, taming the dragon. It's got such a reputation as being a difficult but iconic race that I think it just steps everything up a level in terms of it's not just an Ironman, it's Ironman Wales. And there was lots of people there uh, who completed the race for the very first time and then people who completed it on multiple occasions, Um, you know, and then coming into Heroes Hour, seeing the athletes that just about made it within 17 hours. And then those couple that just happened to get past that final run cutoff and then just not make it within 17 hours on the finish line. That's hugely emotional Uh, for for everybody. I I mean, you'd have to have a, a heart of stone not to get excited. And then, of course, how could I forget Gareth Thomas uh, coming out on uh, the Saturday evening um, saying that, you know, he was HIV positive and then to see him cross the finish line Sunday and, wow, the crowd were just incredible. They just, they were amazing. Uh, The crowd, of course, were right there in 10 Under just after quarter past 12 midnight on Sunday night. And when I tell you the party was rocking, it didn't stop. All day long from when the finish line started, it did not stop. We barely had a break in terms of the energy on the finish line, which was incredible as well.
0: It seems like just based on the, the stories you can tell from your perspective in the race, I think you could probably write like a book after every Ironman of all of the <laughs> stories of, and it would, you know, be worth reading every time. Cause it's so inspirational, but we want to go back to your first announcing work with Ironman and that was at the 2011 Ironman 70.3 in Galway, Ireland. Can you tell us the story of how you got that first job? Oh, wow. So that brings me back to um,
2: a very wet, wild and windy day in the west of Ireland when um, our very first race happened. So i had been racing triathlon since 2009. Ironman came to Ireland and I was training to do the race. I was really excited. There was a big, massive surge in our club members in Galway because of the race in both our club and two other clubs in Galway. It was on the tip of everybody's tongue, you know, who was doing the Ironman coming to Galway. And uh, we were all very excited. But unfortunately, about six weeks out from the race, I figured out I had a fracture in my pelvis. So I couldn't race the event, and the local guys who were racing it said, uh, would you like to be the Irish voice? And I thought, hey, guys, I've been training. I'm not going to do this or whatever. found out two weeks later I was injured, and I went back to him and said, okay, please, can I have that nice little job that you offered me? And it was amazing. So I worked with Mike Riley. Um, We had a fantastic team. Um, Some of the team are still working with Ironman today. We're in Weymouth for, for the next race this weekend. But it was just it's just it's incredible you do all this research before the race and you're under a lot of pressure and obviously i was a newbie back then coming and i didn't have as much responsibility as i have now but you you just your job is to just make everybody at every point feel like a superhero and engage the spectators and, and tell a story of the day and make sure that everybody crosses that finish line and encourage them as much as possible and be there and if high five or a hug or to cry The amount of people that cry on your shoulder on a finish line, it's a great privilege to be in a position to be on the magic carpet.
1: Being based in Ireland and announcing primarily at races in that part of the world means you're often confronted with what might be called less than perfect race conditions. (laughs) So as an announcer, your job is to keep the crowd energized all day long. How do you do that on cold and rainy days?
2: Well, I suppose the the key thing is to just be prepared. You know, if you're going to go out into a real hot, sunny race, you're going to always have your sun cream and water and your snacks and everything and, you know, wear appropriate clothing. I guess it's the same for the athletes. You just have to be prepared, have right wet gear. To be honest, I didn't actually own a pair of wet trousers, you know, wet pants, until Weymouth last year. And I decided to buy a pair on the Friday. It was so wet here and we got soaked. And it's the same thing for the athletes. So, the athletes have to go through what we go through. So, when you're announcing or racing, I think it's all about having a positive attitude. If you have a positive attitude when the weather is really bad and you just keep smiling through it, it helps actually with it. And then, obviously, 10 million pairs of clothes and a pair of Wellingtons and loads of different uh, warm drinks and snacks and things to eat during the day to keep yourself energized. And of course, you're always working well, generally on an Ironman, you're working with one, if not two, other announcers. So, you share the load during the day because it's impossible to keep that energy up for for the long days. Um, Sunday, I think, in the end was a a a 23.5-hour day for the three announcers in total by the time we got
0: out of bed and got back to bed on Sunday night. That leads us well into this next question because we'd like you to take us behind the scenes of a day or days if it's kind of like a, a multi day event, right? As an Ironman race announcer. So, when do your announcing duties officially start? Like, do you ever, like you mentioned, you're kind of rotating through? How does that work? And do you have a race day fueling plan just like the athletes? Like, do you have your go to? Uh, I suppose
2: um, it depends on whether it's a 70.3
0: or full distance. So with the
2: 70.3, generally the first race briefings will start on the Friday. You'll have maybe one or two on Friday and then you'll have maybe three or four on Saturday plus the pro briefing. Your prep really starts about a week to 10 days before a race when we get all the the list of the, the final the professional athletes that are registered to race. And we do a lot of our research on the pros. There'll be a lot of athletes that maybe might that came to Ireland that we would never have seen before because they'd never have raced in UK or Ireland, but because it was Ireland, it was really special. There was a lot of new names. there, so a lot of research to do on the athletes to make sure that we know their story, calling them across the line and we're able to talk about them during the race. And then you, you might have a meeting or two with the race director. You're getting your race briefings all signed off, sorted with the, the different people that are involved in the race briefing, including the race director, Everything from partnerships, race director, uh, marketing, everything. Just make sure, making sure that you've you've ticked all the boxes to ensure that everybody that's part of the moving part of what you're doing is for. So your race briefings, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then is race day. So we always have team meetings at night. Then when we arrive on site. So generally, they're, for the announcer, it's more behind the scenes. A lot of the times doing the stuff, we're not the ones out lifting the barriers or dealing with the public. That's a lot of the acting services team. Obviously, when we're in briefings, dealing with the public. But once you get, it's mainly behind the scenes work that we're doing in, in terms of preparation. Everything from timing the playlist and the announcer schedule in the morning from when transition opens to the second you play the national anthem to when you hit. Thunderstruck to when you hit the first chord of Thunderstruck, and then when the gun goes, so it does get down into literally seconds of time in terms of preparation and the playlists as well. Making sure that you're updating it all the time, that if there's fresh songs out that are relevant to the time of, of 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 year, if there's a new hit out, people want to remember that song when they're driving their car in six weeks' time, or you know, in, in six months' time, was there a song that suddenly brings back a memory? And that's very, very powerful. So we try and incorporate an awful lot of that stuff in the preparation. So race day, Sunday, for example, we were out of bed at 4 a.m. We left the hotel at 4.40. We were on site at 5.05. And we started live commentary at 6 a.m. We went live on Facebook, I believe, at 6.40. But really the live bit in terms of getting it right for the flames and thunderstock and the national anthem was you know, 6.52, I think, and race started at 6.55. And then once the first pros are out of the water, I moved to transition. And then Jay and John stayed until the last athlete out of the water because every athlete deserves the same amount of, of praise and recognition and support. And then, obviously, if an athlete doesn't make it out of the water, it's keeping the spectators informed of what's going on and why this is happening because money people don't know about the cutoffs that aren't racing. And it's just, its I suppose, keeping the, the athletes informed of, of what's going on. And then once the athletes come back in off the bike again, I'm in T2 until the third, maybe fifth lady comes in across the line, depending on how far behind the professional men they are. And then I move to the finish line and the boys follow the progress. That's generally what happens. You'll have an, a lead announcer and then you'll have a two, two or another announcers and they'll follow They'll continue in T2 until the last athlete comes across the the line and goes out on the run course. And then the finish line, we rotate it then. Once the top three professional females and the champagne and flowers are completed, the second announcer jumps in and gives gives the first announcer a break. And then you continue right through to just after midnight. So I think it was nearly three o'clock by the time we got back to the hotel and got to bed on, on Sunday night. And then we turned around and obviously was preparation for awards the next day. So we have awards and slot roll down. So it's back into the hotel, sorry, back into town in Tenby on uh, Monday. Uh, I think I was in there at nine o'clock and awards were at 11 and they finished at two. So you're live again. You know, there's a lot of prep goes into all the little bits and pieces that people don't really see. But uh, it's really, it's, it's amazing. I was really emotional on stage on Monday watching the images of the photographs and watching the athletes' reaction to them and the, the athletes that were in Wales were very respectful of each other. It was, it was absolutely beautiful to watch when Arno's picture went up on the big screen that everybody clapped and they stopped clapping then. And then the next thing, Simone's picture went up and everybody clapped. And then when our race director, Sam Braun, who's only very young, got up on stage, everybody clapped. It was amazing. Our oldest athlete was in the category 70 to 74, Linda Spillane. She was the oldest finisher. She got a standing ovation. I mean, you you just can't bottle the, the positive energy that is just coming from people once they've completed an Ironman. It's amazing. So like in terms of a fueling strategy, my voice went on Saturday. I suffered a little bit with a cold coming into the race, had a scratchy throat and was really, really worried that my voice would go. So I, I minded myself an awful lot. I literally was drinking honey straight from a bottle. I was taking... Uh, norefen or paracetamol lozenges every time i went on the microphone i had a little lozenge in my mouth to try and just keep the 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 voice lubricated i guess and taking lots and lots of water so my fueling strategy went out the plan because it was literally keep my voice in place i could finish out the race uh, on, on monday but generally you're eating like a little bit of fruit coffee honey lots and lots of water and stay away from sweet things because it's too hard to to come down off that, and I don't want to feel like crap um, when you're when you're announcing. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep it nice and steady during the day.
1: Wow that that is quite the day or days. I mean, I think all of us will be surprised to learn how much preparation goes into it just a single day event, which is not a single day event as you as you laid out, but. I can imagine that announcing, you know, after you go through all that could be just as exhausting as the actual race. So do you need serious recovery time after an event? Is there any time to put your feet up?
2: Uh, Generally, there is. I call it the Ironman hangover. It's the hangover without having any alcohol. It's complete and utter exhaustion and and dehydration. Monday for me for 70.3 is generally a rest day or a travel day. So I, I won't have anything in the diary on the Monday and I'll try and sleep in on Tuesday and maybe try and get a little run in on a Tuesday to try and just get back to normal again it's hard to get back into the routine because you're away from home and you're in another team working away and do little bits for the next event that's coming up as well so you're trying to manage your time but definitely yes uh, you are absolutely shattered you're exhausted you're exhausted and you have to mind yourself and yeah and you have to try and I suppose refuel properly and rest and recover. And you know, it's not just race day as an early start. You you could have early starts and late finishes, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, it's not. It's it's the build up to it as well. And then, but it's fantastic. And it's a great. It's a it's a great position to be in. The amount of people that I've met on the finish line. Um, that I've, I've met both personally that have become my friends through Facebook or have become personal friends who we always meet at races and a few of them will race at every single Ironman race throughout the season it is just amazing the people are of every age every size every ability like where else in the world would you get that opportunity it's, it's just incredible
0: and Joanne, you are a triathlete yourself. And so I'm curious, if, like, <laughs> when you're announcing, do you have major FOMO ever and wish that you were racing yourself instead of announcing? On days like, yeah, I suppose I'm a pretend triathlete
2: at the moment. Um, I haven't raced in, in a while in triathlon. Um, I did set up a women's cycling um, team called the Galway Babes in 2017 to, to race around Ireland. And we did the Donegal Ultra. So we have two Irish cycling records, four average women. Riding bikes around Ireland, trying to chase Irish records, which is fantastic. But I'm trying to get back into it now again. A um, little bit of running, getting out on the bike when I can and my swimming. I could do with um, a good kick in the bum to get back in the pool. But in terms of, of the races, yeah, get the FOMO. You do absolutely. When you see people crossing the line or you see the medal, um, and especially on a day when everything is going well for everybody, days when the weather's really bad, and you wouldn't put a cat out in the rain when it's when it's really bad weather. You're kind of like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not racing today. Or when there's big waves in the water. But generally, you're you're kind of oh, sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's. I'd love to be racing this. Or you're, you're. I suppose you're inspired then to look at other races that where you're not announcing that you could potentially do. You you are
1: definitely inspired
2: by the athletes that you meet.
1: Joanne, as an announcer, do you have a favorite race?
2: Ooh, I could get into serious trouble if I told you what my favourite race was. So this year was the first year of Ironman Cork, uh, Ironman Ireland. And I'm from Cork, even though I live in Galway, which is on the west of Ireland. So despite the really bad weather that we had in Cork, I have to say, I'm most proud of that event um, and what we did with it. And the spectators and the sports supporters that came out and helped those athletes through that really, really bad, bad weather. I suppose first year event, it was really good and, and I really, really enjoyed it. But I, I have to say Wales, Wales is just, it's just, there's just, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, it's just a magical place. It's so beautiful. It's so friendly. And I think because the race is so tough that there's a, a real feeling of everybody's going into battle together, race announcers, Ironman team, athletes, spectators, supporters, and everybody wants everybody to succeed. And I think it's just such a small place as well that it's a close-knit community. In some of the bigger cities or the bigger areas, I don't think you get that same level of community. And I think for me and you all, that was very similar. It's a small area on the edge of East Cork that was kind of forgotten about the world. And now suddenly the world's focus for triathletes is on Cork through Facebook Watch and Facebook Live and the athletes, everybody that came there and it, and that has its own legend after one year, you know. So, um, I, I, yeah, I think from an Ironman perspective, they're my two favourite races. Yeah, I'll probably get killed by the race director of Bolton for not saying that. But, you yeah, know, definitely Wales is my favourite. And a lot of things... Oh, sorry, oh, Wales ahead. was also a full distance announcing gig in 2012. So it does hold a special
0: place in my heart. That's fair. That's fair. We'll we'll allow it. <laughs> a lot has changed in Ironman since your first announcing job in 2011, including the introduction of Ironman now live race streaming on Facebook. So, how has the rise of social media changed your side of the job?
2: Uh, I suppose it, it's a positive, thing really, because we can connect with people that we meet. A lot of people. To meet us they like to hear particular people call them across the finish line there's a lot of, of athletes in the states that only want to hear mike riley call them across the finish line and mike announces his his diary early in the year paul k is the very same in uh, in europe and the middle east athletes really want to hear their voices and we can connect with the people that we're calling across the line through social media it's it's positive in, in many many ways um And I also think that some of the communities for for athletes, you know, there's the Ironman journey, there's there's the Ironman Wales journey. These are the ones only that I would know of. But there's Facebook groups where they're very supportive. So you might have newbie triathletes or or first-time Ironman athletes are getting a lot of support from athletes that have have been through um, the races previously. And there's a lot of communication between the athletes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes they're winding each other up and it's quite funny to watch. But I think for the most part, it's put triathlon on a stage that I don't think we'd, we'd have it at now. You know, obviously it's, it's, in, it's an Olympic sport, but I think it, it's grown exponentially through uh, social media, both on the ground. Locally, people know a lot more around the world. Than they did before the growth of social media. And even for yourselves as professional athletes, you know, it must have had a big impact on getting sponsors and promotion and 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 getting household brands into or to sponsor events like Ironman and companies and charities and it's just i think it's opened the door where we can't on mainstream television or we don't have enough coverage of triathlon as a sport on mainstream uh, ch- television channels but now digital channels and digital media have, have just opened up that whole platform not just for triathlon, but I think for a lot of the sports that aren't the primary sport of a country. So, for example, in Ireland, um, hurling and football or Gaelic rugby and soccer would be the top four sports across men and women. And now hockey, because a hockey team is doing quite well, they would be the primary sports that are always covered on mainstream media. But triathlon isn't, neither is. Cycling is, I suppose, in a way. But there's a lot of sports that aren't like swimming, The rowing is getting better because our our athletes are doing quite well on the world stage. But I think social media has a lot to answer for in terms of the positive motion of the sport in a long winded way.
1: And you've been you've been a part of Ironman announcing since 2011. You've been in sport much longer than that. And so you've been able to watch kind of this the growth of, of these sports of road running, of cycling, of triathlon, but also the growth of women in the sports. So have you noticed more women participating in triathlon? Uh, Definitely. I suppose one of the reasons that we set up the
2: the women's race team was because we wanted to race in that race around Ireland, but also because we wanted to prove that, you know, you could take four random women with no real form as athletes. And that's not disrespectful to myself, Breed, Karen, or Marie. I was in my late 30s, so was Breed. Karen and Marie are in their late 40s. Um, we've all turned into the new decade now, but we wanted to prove that if you put four women together and you, you train them well and they worked well together and they supported each other and had a great crew around them, they could achieve anything. And, and we really set out to, to try and prove um, and get that Irish record in the race around Ireland. And it's, it's helped, I think, with being, I wouldn't say we're role models, but we've definitely provided a platform for other people to kind of say, do you know what, if they did that, then why couldn't I do something similar? And I think, you know, the, I'm lucky that I'm a global Women for Try ambassador as part of the Ironman Foundation supporting uh, women in triathlon. And, you know, each of the races and each area that we're involved with in Ireland and the UK, we're really pushing out Women for Try. We've had uh, Staffordshire... I think Staffordshire had additional women for try slots this year. Dunleary had them for New Zealand next year. Sunday we'll have additional women for try slots for the World Championships in New Zealand. We're hosting um, a panel Q and A on Friday evening as part of Women for Try to just, I suppose, encourage more women to take up the sport. There are lots of barriers. There's everything from you know work, kids, biological reasons, um, life in general that that women don't take up triathlon and. There definitely has been a growth in it across the board, but we we can do more, I think. Absolutely. And in Ireland, we have a campaign called 20 by 20. So the, the purpose of the campaign set up by a group in Ireland was to encourage more participation of women in sport generally, more media coverage of women in sport and more attendance at women's sporting events which is, has been re- really, really successful. So it's similar to This Girl Can, which is in the UK, to encourage more girls to take up sport. But providing positive role models for young people, whether it's um, a female role model for a male child or a female child, I think it's, it's really, really important. And the more we continue to promote women in sport, the, the better it is for everybody
0: have you noticed that like at the races where maybe you're seeing even more of a rapid growth with female participation, like are those races and events doing something specific or doing something very right that you're seeing, like that we can learn from? Um, or is, do you think the growth is just kind of outside, maybe like tangible changes within the races themselves?
2: I think it's probably a mix of everything. Again, you know, if you have somebody in a, in a triathlon club who's completed an Ironman, who is, you know, somebody who wasn't sporty as a kid, had kids, did, was working full time, isn't really, wouldn't be your, the person that you would actually identify as a role model. And they do an Ironman. They become an inspiration in their community for other people to take up triathlon, I think. And that helps with the spread of the positive image of the sport of triathlon, whether it's an Ironman or whether it's a try-a-try a try or whatever it is. I think that's having a big impact. And the more people that we have that do triathlon at whatever level and the more support we provide for women to do triathlon and we provide the opportunity for them to do a race, so whether that's a women-only wave in a race, which is hugely important because sometimes women don't want to be in a mass swim start with the boys. They get elbowed. They get swum over. They're nervous swimmers. They just, they, and they're thinking about their four kids that they have at home you know, they're out on a bike ride and they're scared out on the road because I've got four kids I've got to get home to. I don't want to get killed on my bicycle, you know. So there's, there's different things, I think. But primarily, I think that the more, more women do triathlon, the more opportunity there is for other women to do it. So setting up the likes of the women for tri meetups, the different WhatsApp groups, the different clubs. have. We've a, um, in Galway, we've a tri-club a WhatsApp group, and it's just the girls. It is just the girls, and we have every quarter we do like a girls meet up. There's different messages got in the group about different people training at different levels. There's coffee and cake rides. There's breakfast clubs. There's a huge social aspect to it, and I think if you normalise doing triathlon within a group of people, you'll get more people doing it. It's like Ironman. If you are in a group where you've started your triathlon journey doing a, a sprint try try, and in that group there's five women, and those five women say, okay, next year we're going to target an Olympic distance race to start the summer, and we're going to do a 70.3 at the end of the summer. It normalizes that 70.3 distance race. And then at the end of that summer, they turn around and say, right, guys, we're signing up for an Ironman. Those five people might become eight people, ten people, and they're all training together. They're supporting each other, and it normalizes a long-distance triathlon, which sounds pretty doable by people who might not even have an Ironman on their bucket list
1: Joanne in 2016 you carved a place for yourself in Kona history when you became the first female announcer at the Ironman World Championships so learning this shocked me for two reasons one why did it take 38 years to have a female or 37 years to have a female announcer? in Kona and two how did I not know about this until I was prepping for this interview nearly three years later shouldn't there have been some kind of statue of you holding a mic on a Lee drive <laughs> uh, No, um it was
2: a very unofficial role as an announcer uh in Kona and I was given a huge opportunity to, to spend some time on a Lee drive uh, and work the hot corner with Pete Murray and then work in the tower with Mike and Paul. So I was very, very privileged to, to get that opportunity to do it. I'd love to get back there again. I, I don't know when that may or may not happen. Um, you know, we're we're always on the lookout for new announcers here, even in, in the UK and Ireland. I know there's myself and there's the, the lady down in New Zealand. But it's it's a role that not a lot of women, I think, probably want to do. It's the type of lifestyle that you're on the road quite a bit. You know, the opportunities for for race announcing, it just depends on where you are and where you are in your your stage. in life. Kona was absolutely incredible. You know, it's just made in place and to get that opportunity was fantastic.
1: So you won't be back in Kona this year?
2: Uh, Not that I know of. (laughs) Oh, darn. (laughs) Maybe we can put in some plugs for you. oh yeah but uh, you know Paul Kaye and and Mike Riley do an amazing job in Kona and they've called so many athletes as well across the finish line around the world that a lot of the athletes want to be called across the finish line by Paul and Mike in Kona Um, specifically so you know there's that aspect of it as well obviously I would love to to get to Kona again I may still go and do some stuff myself on on the podcast I've been over there previously with Try247 I have nothing booked at the moment I'm lastminute.com just seeing how the diary is looking I have a, a marathon on the Sunday before Kona, and then when I come back, I'm hosting a Women for Tri panel for Triathlon Ireland, and I have a Gymnastics Ireland Awards on the Saturday night. So Kona really would only be like a five or six day trip. So I'm not sure it'll be feasible in the diary or the finances to get over. But yeah, it, it's um, it, it was
0: fantastic. It really was, and it's it's just an amazing place. Well, I think it's important to make sure that we're having female voices announcing in Kona. Um, you know, I know people might want to have tradition, you know, and they feel like it's, they have seen Mike Riley and Paul Kay and and they do a lovely job. But as you said, with women who are watching other women racing and finishing Ironman, there's something to be said about seeing a woman up there holding her own on the announcing and, um, you know, you're, you're quite sharp and you know, your stuff. And I think you would, you definitely add everything to the team there so maybe they'll reevaluate that and hopefully hopefully down the line you'll be become a regular there well that would be it would be a
2: a dream come true to be honest I mean it is the holy grail of um and it's the holy grail of of, I suppose racing for athletes whether you're a professional or an age group athlete to get to Kona and for announcing it's the holy grail as well to to be on that that uh, announcing team and on that finish line but, um, you know, you mentioned Facebook Live and I did my first Facebook Live feed at Wales the other day, you know, and, and that was really enjoyable as well. So, you know, there's lots of aspects to it that you could carve out areas where you could still get to Kona, but not necessarily
1: be on the magic car or announcing specifically on the race. Can, can either of you explain to me the allure the of having either Mike Riley or Paul Kay like announce you across the line? Because I've done a lot of Ironmans, Alyssa's done even more than me. And to be a hundred percent honest, I've never heard, I've never heard Haley, you are an Ironman. And I, and it didn't really do anything for me. And actually one of my most emotional, like biggest finishes for myself was in Brazil. And I, I'm not even sure who was the announcer and I probably couldn't understand what they were saying. And I still count that as my most famous or my, my probably one of my best finish lines. So why is that? Like, I don't get it.
2: I, I suppose a lot of people see us as, um, you know, if, if, you, if you are the person that calls somebody across the finish line. So if you've been training as an age group athlete and you've overcome huge obstacles to get to an Ironman and there's a particular voice called you across the finish line, forever you are the person that called them across their very first Ironman finish line. And that is a huge experience for the athletes. I, I don't know about you um Alyssa, I, 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 you know in terms of, of what you've had experience across the finish line but you know lots and lots of people want me to call them across the finish line in in Ireland and the UK because I was the one who called them across the finish line and made them feel safe made them feel warm made them feel at, at ease before they got in the water you know but when Paul was here in in the UK primarily as the number one or the lead announcer most people want to call them across the line it's, it's incredible it's like it, it's we become part of the overall Ironman journey for that person and we remain I suppose we, we hold a space in their heart because we're the person that said to them you are an Ironman and they sacrifice so much they've gone through so many obstacles for whatever reason because an Ironman is Easy place to get to an Ironman finish line, either in training or on race day. Even though you know, it, it, race day itself is probably the easier part of the whole man journey. Race itself is is the easier part of the six, eight, nine, ten months of training. So there, there. Excuse me. There is something in it that people they they just have an affinity with the person that calls them an Ironman. It's it's a bit mad. It's a strange phenomena, but it's something that I've definitely experienced in the last two or three years
0: it definitely exists i know i've i've heard people who really like have their person right but i think for me i'm just so excited that someone is there telling me i'm done i really <laughs> that's like all i know it for, needs I, to be yeah
2: yeah i know for a fact that when mike riley announces his announcing schedule people book their races that's like so that's interesting. how yeah. much respect people have for mike and how much they hold him as the voice of ironman that they only want mike on the finish line hmm.
0: Well, we'll be keeping, making sure that people are on the lookout for your announcing schedule as well. Because, I know uh, now I want yeah. Joanne
1: to call me across the line. I'm going to find your your
0: announcing schedule. I'm yeah.
1: You'll have to come and race in, UK, in the
2: UK or come to Ireland next year. It's the Women for Dry designated race in 2020 in June.
0: We and have- I'm going to make sure I like slow down on the carpet and take it in and listen
1: and like really absorb it. So <laughs> that'll be my goal. Um, well, Joanne, do you you mentioned like women? Not many women in your job. So, do you have advice for anyone, a man or a woman, who's listening, and might be thinking, "Wow, this is what I want to do. This sounds even better than racing. I want to be a race announcer." Where would you tell them to start?
2: Um. Wow. Uh, well, well, I suppose. I mean, I, in in the schooling, I have a, a commerce degree, and my background is event management and marketing. So um and I and I worked in fundraising for years so I suppose I don't just bring the announcing piece to Man. I also are to announcing I also bring some of the event logistics side of things as well so when problems happen and you see them you can be a problem solver rather than somebody's just standing by the wayside I think somebody is is not afraid to get out of their comfort zone every day because that's what it is you kind of not that you forget where you're at, but you, you turn into somebody different. You kind of let go of some of your inhibitions when you're on that finish line because your job is to make sure that the spectators are engaged and are having fun and that the athletes are, are getting that superhero reception. And if that means going absolutely crazy on a finish line to get that, then you kind of have to do that. I suppose being able to tell a story as well is very important because you, when the spectators are on, are on the finish line, you tell the story of how the race day unfolded. So you're telling the story of that overtake by the athlete on that hill, the run, the power, the DQ, the whatever has happened uh, out on the course. You're You're keeping the spectators updated and you're kind of telling a story. So you're, I suppose, yeah, just somebody who's really bubbly and just an entertainer, I think, is... And and, and I suppose a happy disposition, you don't want a grumpy person on the on the finish line. I suppose I'm very lucky in that I, I fell into presenting and I was never afraid to get up and speak in front of people. Yes, I get nervous. I get very, very nervous at times. Sunday, I was very nervous coming into Wales because there were so many moving parts that were responsible for up at up down at the commentary desk. But you you just have to kind of hold your nerve, and you just I think you almost need to have an interest in the sport, but that's not always necessary either. I'm now working with Gymnastics Ireland, the national federation for gymnastics, and I knew nothing of gymnastics before I started working with them. But I see what those kids are doing and the incredible. Uh, athletes that they are and you become really engrossed in in what they're doing and I suppose I just have a passion for sport anyway
0: passion for sport and talking it kind of goes well Well, Joanne, we're going to let you rest your voice because you are between events here. So thank you so much for taking time. And we definitely will link to this in the show notes, but we encourage people who want to hear more from you, they can listen to your podcast, Try Talking Sport, and maybe find you at an event um, over in the UK next season. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on the show.
1: This is Haley. And I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the form swim goggles and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com.
0: This is Alyssa and as a triathlete, I am all about efficiency. That's why I'm excited that VeloFix is now a part of the Live Feisty community. VeloFix is North America's largest mobile bike shop fleet. And they know that your most valuable asset is time. VeloFix will meet you wherever you are at in your day so you don't miss a beat. Or if you have some time, you can hang out in the mobile bike shop and enjoy a complimentary cup of coffee to learn about the service being done. Interested? Here's how it works. Head to VeloFix.com or call 1-855-VeloFix, set your appointment, and the local VeloFix technician will come directly to you. Book your service today using promo code FEISTY so they know you're an Iron Women listener. The first 100 listeners to book today using promo code FEISTY will receive a major tune for the price of a minor tune. Again, that's VeloFix.com and promo code FEISTY to enhance your bike service experience today. Haley, do you think you would make it through a day in the life as a race announcer? Yeah,
1: I think I would. I think I could handle it. I mean... I would probably need some extra coffee and maybe some sugar and a lot of recovery time after I definitely would need like a scheduled like three days of no talking to anyone. I also, you know, I lose my voice quite frequently, I feel like. So I probably would need, um, I don't know, some kind of like lemon tea as like (laughs) my drink of choice while I'm going, especially if I was in the UK, like Joanne in that those cold weather, cold weather races.
0: I don't think I would be too good at the race announcing. I feel like it reminds me a lot of the schedule that you keep when you're trying to do like expo booths and things like that. And I don't think that's really my strong suit in life. So I'm going to stick with the racing side of things and then the podcasting. And I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave the race announcing to joy in in that team. I think
1: podcasting is quite nice because it is always sunny and 70 in my podcasting studio slash like home
0: (laughs) that's true we don't have to embrace the elements for this
1: 70 is probably i mean maybe it's like 55 but (laughs) it's uh it's definitely not raining in here so that that podcasting life is pretty cush
0: well hopefully you guys enjoy the hearing from joanne and maybe you're considering putting one of those races on your list so that you can have her call you down the uh, carpet as an iron man finisher um, and also just as we head out today, please remember that if you would like to join our Patreon community, you can go to patreon.com forward slash livefeisty to become a patron. And all of that goes directly to support us and the content that we
1: give you week after week. Safe travels, Alyssa. Enjoy the race. Good luck to all of your athletes. And I can't wait to hear all about your adventures in Hawaii next week. Bye, Haley. Uh, Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadesky and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a Live Feisty Media production.